Hi folks, a little bit of housekeeping before we start the podcast. This conversation happened about a week ago with the interim CEO of Mental Health Reform, Roisin Clark, and it's about their pre-budget submission and the cost of waiting. A really, really important listen. Please do listen through and do visit mentalhealthreform.ie for more information. We are also doing a series of pre-budget podcasts, including one that's out right now with Suzanne Rogers of Social Justice Ireland, Michael Taft of SIP2 and Tom McDonald of Neary. That is available right now on patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack, along with a brilliant conversation with the returning um, Professor Richard Murphy, who talked through all things cost of living and through the lens of the UK and what's happened now with what they're calling trussonomics. We also have a great conversation with Loe Elbasani, who you may remember is the Palestinian-born American engineer who helped put a helicopter on Mars, and he's currently working on the Artemis project of putting a base on the moon. I still have to pinch myself that we get to talk to Loe and that uh, he gives us time to this little podcast platform in Ireland as, as freely as he does. Please check all of those out right now on patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. There's over a thousand up there now, all of our back catalogue, plea free, without me having to rattle the bucket. And you help to keep this podcast platform going. If you like what you're hearing, if you enjoy what we're doing, if you think it's worth supporting, it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise It really is the only way we keep the show on the road. Thanks for the support. Do head over to mentalhealthreform.ie and you can see the pre-budget submission. I think it's really important that we face up to the crisis, the mental health crisis that is really happening in this country. And we need to get, we need to get serious about it now. Talk to you soon. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and we are back yet again. And actually, Martin, is this the last day of summer or the first day of winter? Or where do we stand now? I hear that it's going to be pretty bad over the weekend. Now, I've heard it's pretty. So if you're heading for an electric picnic. <laughs> the only thing I'd say if you're heading for electric picnic. I have one comment on electric picnic. Imagine having an electric picnic when the prices of electricity are gone up. So know, what, what are they doing? They I should mean, call it blackout picnic or yeah, extortion picnic. It's, it's, or... We have, we are, this is, these are the worst dad jokes you could possibly here guys we are terrible but no listen if you are going i do wish you all the best just uh go 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 see the music that's that's my that's my dig that's my dig out of the way um we have a very important topic something we've covered for extensively over the number of years we're doing this martin on the on the tortoise shack and that is mental health there has been a lot said a lot of promises made a lot of things coming out of falling out of the global financial crisis forwarding on to then the pandemic and how things are going and how this Ireland treats mental health. Um, and there's not someone, there's no one listening to this who's not been impacted by it. By it. They have, they've got a, a brother, a sister, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle who has been impacted by this. Yet we don't seem to join the dots. And one of the organizations that always helped join the dots is Mental Health Reform. And they have been on this podcast several times. And, you know, they, they've, they've, they've done brilliant work. Please check out the stuff they do. Please help. Please raise your voice if you can. And for the first time, we're delighted to be joined by interim CEO from Mental Health Reform, Roisin Clark. Roisin, thank you for taking time to talk to us. Not at all. Thanks a million. It's great to be here. No, and look, your your most recent asks because we're coming into budget season. That's this is where we go now at this time of year. We're coming into budget season, and you are running a campaign called called the cost of waiting. Can mm-hmm. you just outline first of all what you mean? What's the cost of waiting, and in the impacts on mental health, and what your asks are? 
thank you so much again. Not at all. And, and thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, as you've mentioned, we, we've launched our pre-budget submission for, for budget 2023 and, and our, our hashtag cost of waiting we really want to draw attention to the impact on people and as you said well said there tony it's it's everybody it's our friends it's families it's communities that are impacted by mental health and what we really want to do with our campaign this year is draw attention to the fact that if you need help if you need assistance if you need support or access to any sort of counseling or any sort of intervention you need it there and then you cannot afford to wait. So what we want to call upon the government with our PBS this year is to prioritise mental health in the budget for 2023. And we have been warning that the pressures on Ireland's mental health system have reached absolutely unsustainable levels and action has to be taken. When you say unsustainable levels, um, I know I, I wrestle with this myself because we know every year the asks seem to be fairly clear and transparent. And yet it's I won't say at the bottom of the list, but it always ends up. We've, we've seen situations where the budgets haven't been spent, even when budgets have been allocated. They haven't been actually applied or used. When what what does it mean in terms of like if we were to look at it as as a as a nation what are we talking about in terms of the requirement how much do we need or, or additional resources put into mental health? Yeah, that's a good point you make, and one of the things that we would feel very strongly about in terms of money being put in, but we're not necessarily always seeing the benefit of that, is is the the reinstatement of a national lead for mental health services to ensure that there's the proper governance and the proper management within the sector. Our ask this year is for a hundred million additional spend on mental health, but what I want to point out about that is that's 25 million and that's for the maintenance of existing services, Tony. And 75 million is for the development of services to address the unmet need. But what we've been really mindful of this year, and we've been taking a very pragmatic approach to our asks, is that we are completely aligning in with the sharing the vision implementation plan, which is part of our national mental health policy. So what we are saying is these are the figures that are required to meet the milestones that have already been been set out by government. Everything that we are speaking about, everything that we're calling for has been set out in various reports before and it aligns with the implementation plan and it aligns with Solantia Care as well. So what mental health reform is saying is this is what we need to deliver on our promises. This is what we need to meet with the unmet need. And it's really important, I think, and I hope you don't mind me saying, but I, I feel there's a sort of general sense around discourse now that the, the, the immediacy or the urgency of the pandemic has passed. We have 81 member organisations in our coalition and each one of those 81 member organisations will tell you that we are still dealing with the fallout and the impact of the pandemic. In fact, we really don't know how far in the future this is going to be felt. So while this immediate very much in your face COVID pandemic is, is gradually sort of receding into the background 
now we're collectively facing into what could be a very challenging winter in terms of the cost of living, we cannot let mental health slip back down the agenda because it's a more, it's crucial now more than ever. Isn't it? But the money that you're you're looking for, it's preventative. I mean, what you're what you're doing is saving money at the hard end in A and E's. You're saving money in emergency care, dealing with people in a timely fashion stops them presenting somewhere else in acute distress. You're absolutely correct, Marty. And early intervention is the key, and it's something that I personally feel very strongly about. We our research will show that people presenting with a mental health difficulty later in life, in the most part, that will have presented on before the age of 25. And we need to be able to provide early access and intervention for children and young people in order to prevent that. We're talking about the impact on people's quality of life. We're talking about how they live their lives. We're talking about their happiness, their well-being, their achievement. And we need to think as well that it's everybody around these people too. You know, it's just a drop. It's a drop in the ocean. But you're, 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 I'm really glad that you brought that up because it is, it's about early intervention and it's about setting, helping set, give people the support and the empowerments when they need them. And the impact of that is infinite in terms of, of lifespan. And, and particularly with children, because I mean, yeah. they're so, uh, it's an, a, a used phrase, children are plastic. You can help children. You can help when they're younger and that help is much harder when they're older. So, I mean, that, mm -hmm. that early intervention for children is so necessary. And yet one of the worst aspects of mental health in Ireland is the services that are offered for children. Marty, in May of 2022, this year, there were 4,294 people on the waiting list for the child and adolescent mental health services. That's 60% increase in two years, 60% increase since 2020. Now, you can imagine that when a child or young person needs help at that very vulnerable and formative stage in their life, the impact is so significant. And again, and, you know, I don't want to keep repeating this, but for every one of those children, there's a parent, there's siblings, there's everybody else involved in that, you know. So we need to take action. We need to take it urgently. It's, it's kids have a right kids have a right and we have a duty and we have a responsibility to them. And when you look at that, I, I hate this. I, I always, Martin gets annoyed at me, everybody gets annoyed at me, but I go to the bean counters because when you talk, when you look at that for those early interventions, if you talk about the uh, adverse childhood experiences that we all talk about, these ACEs and dealing with these issues, uh, to what both of you have said now is what you've actually effectively done is you have saved the state much more money in the long term, right? So, so it's you know the additional ask is a hundred million. I think last year the government gave, I believe, an additional forty-seven million um, to 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 uh, increase the funding. But the the jargon around that is always quite complex, folks. It's, it's quite funny because they'll they'll have this, you know, the biggest budget in the history of the state. It should be the state is the it's the largest population in the history of the state. It always should be. Let's let's always let's always take that with a bucket of salt. But when you talk about the preventative and those other measures to, for unmet needs in those unmet needs, 
to see that rise that you've just alluded to in childhood things, that must be manifesting itself as well in the adult population, people coming out of a pandemic in different situations in the, in, you know, the 18 to 35, 35 to 45, all of those people now have had other, other scenarios that they never thought they would deal with. What's that kind of, I know it's very difficult to quantify that unmet need, but what, what are you guys seeing between the organizations that you represent in terms of the demands for it? Huge increase in demand. And <clears throat> I know, look, we all love stats and I love them myself, but I always like to caveat them that, you know, these are figures. So let's think about the people behind the figures, you know, but only in, in June of this year, there was an ERSI study and it reported that 55% of women and 40% of men aged between 20 and 22 were classified as depressed. So think, think about that in terms of the impact, but more so, and this was absolutely shocking. There was a, an Irish study done across a, a number of different universities, and that actually found that over 40% of the population experience a mental health difficulty. Over 40% of the Irish population. See, that doesn't surprise me. We stop really... and think about that for a minute, Marty. Yeah. It, 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 but, but even, uh, can I cut in there, Martin? We've yeah. been open enough about talking about our mm. our own situations. You have spoken recently, Martin, about your need to going to to talk to someone about your own mental health. Yeah. So no, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't shock these two old uh, 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 straight middle. <laughs> no, but like, it doesn't. But it doesn't. No, it certainly doesn't. And uh, you know, even within my own family, every family, somebody at some stage is going through mm-hmm. something, and that's every family. Can I ask, do you have the same difficulties recruiting staff? And I presume they're highly trained staff that you need. It's specialty staff. Is there a difficulty recruiting staff? There is across the rest of the health service. Is there in mental health services as well? I think the issue with recruitment is right across the board, and that goes for within the HSC and also in the voluntary and charity sector, yes. And I, I think with I mean, we we'll hear we hear a lot about recruitment as an is, issue in the HSE, but I think in terms of the cost of living, the housing crisis, and um, staff in the larger urban areas in the country, it's really different difficult to attract and retain staff at the moment. But you know what? I also have to say on that that doesn't mean that there aren't actions that can be taken, like staffing issues and recruitment issues shouldn't be where the book stops it shouldn't be the issue that we aren't making improvements it shouldn't be the issue that that stops people getting access to services we need to do what we can we need to look at what what changes can be put in place we need to have a proper workforce planning we need to be able to look at what would be i mean it's tough working in the mental health sector mm-hmm. hard work so what what things can be put in place to support and to retain staff then there are small practical things like um for example on a cams team the child and adult mental health if somebody goes on maternity leave there should be a maternity cover yes but there isn't I- always and there are only four, am I right about this, four uh, child and adult um, public um, 
public yeah. place. There are only four in the country. Am I right about that? Yes. I mean, that seems incredibly low for a population of five million. Correct. Yeah. What can be done about it? I think I think we'd probably need to this is something where investment comes in and funding comes in in supporting the resourcing of additional centers. You know, your geographical location shouldn't be the dictate of what services you can access. So but that and the money in your pocket. Well, look, well, uh, some some of this then when um again both of you can tell me to shut up. Some of this I can think about how how badly we've done in terms of the implementation of Slanchi Care, mm. because some of this was supposed to be a wraparound holistic pr- approach to um patient first and including these services, and and it's never gotten off the ground. And we know, Mark, we speak to GPs all the time who tell us we could be doing more care in the community if we knew that some of this was working, and 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 I find. Like um, I, the question, I suppose, Roisin is, is you know, is there actually an appetite for this, or are we just going to see incrementalism, um, which is unfortunately what we seem to, what we, what we deal with? Like you, know, like forty-seven million additional last year, whatever's going to be in this budget, is there actually the appetite to tackle this? Because sometimes someone might not start out with a mental health issue. It's the, it's the, this, you know, we talk to a lot of people who inclusion services in James's street, and they'll tell you that someone uh, is looking for, for they need help, but they became homeless due to one other thing, but they developed other issues that maybe it was addiction issues. Maybe it was, but it was certainly mental health trauma. And we don't seem to look at it in the round. Uh, um, and apologies if I've just gone completely off the page here. No, but I'd actually love to pick up on something you said there, Tony. And I'm familiar with the social inclusion work in James's, and it's mm. absolutely out of this world. And, and and the professor that leads it is absolutely outstanding. But just a, br- a brilliant team of, of outreach nurses and, tea and workers. Yeah, full team. Phenomenal. They, they yep. really are like it's world class. And and yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more there. There's some something else. But um on the point, the, the there is emerging focus on dual diagnosis, and not before time. And it's a, we, we do mention it also in our pre-budget submission because we we haven't looked closely enough in the past at um, the aligning of a mental health difficulty with an addiction difficulty. And I think for most ordinary people on the street, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can see how that would happen. But now there is a sort of emergence of, uh, you know, and, and, and the establishment of a, of a unit around dual diagnosis as well. And it's something that mental health reform has, has reported on also um, and researched. You know, it's, it is something that is beginning to come to the fore now. And, we, you know, there will be a closer look taken. But in terms of the sort of general appetite and, and will, I think, I think the will is there. I, I, the will is there. And, do you know, I thought back in March 2020 that we were on the precipice of a massive big reset societally. It didn't happen. No, no, it didn't happen. no. Welcome, no. welcome to our our our, our despondent uh, revolution, comrade. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I had the moment, you know, where I thought, now this is where things are really going to change, and they might mightn't have mightn't have been the big um, 
180 degree that, that, that I perhaps might have been hoping for at the time. But I do think some lessons have been learned and I do think there's a bit more awareness out there. And I think that it can take a while for attitudes to to when you're talking about, you know, years of, of a way of operating and it can take a while. But I, I, I have I have hope. You I have, do have hope. You have faith, Roshan. I do. Sure. Where would we be going without it? Like, but uh, and I can assure you one thing that if it's anything to do with mental health reform, we will be seeing we we will be doing our best because the shoulder is very much to the wheel. You know, do you think there's a legacy of stigmatization in Ireland around mental health? Like I know recently they have introduced uh, uh, oncology mental health. Um, something I've been asking for for 20 odd years. I mean, getting cancer screws with your head. It just does. Mm. It just does. But nobody ever treated the mental health end Mm. of it for me. Um, And I kept saying, look, my head is screwed up with this. Please have somebody help. Um, And beyond medication, there was there was nothing else anybody could do for me. Do you think that 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 stigma is still there or do you think that we're loosening the bonds of that stigma? I think we're on the we're we're no, it's still there. It is still there. Yeah. And there was an incredible um stu- a survey carried out recently actually by the early intervention psychosis service rise and um shine and uh, mental health reform were also involved in it. And um stigma came out largely in it, I'm sorry to say. Um so does yeah. stigma prevent funding? Is you know, if more people talked more openly about the mental health, would funding be easier to get? I think more people need to talk more openly about everything to do with mental health. I think politicians respond to voices. I think people need to. We have a great tradition in this country. It's in our genes to make our voices heard and it's in our genes to stand up for what is right. And I think that I think people really need to not, you know, maybe listen to the news or listen, just that's awful. Okay, it is awful. But why don't you shoot off a quick email to your TD there? Or why don't you pick up the phone? Or, you know, it's going to take you two minutes. But this is the kind of slow turn change that, that really, okay, it might take five years or whatever, but like, you know, there's a saying that <laughs> that real genuine people plant a tree, not so they can sit under it, but so the next generation can. Do you know what I mean? Without, get, without yeah. waxing too lyrical about yeah. it, but do you know. Can, uh, can I come in on that though? Because there's, there's so much in your, in your submission, you talk about the likes, you know, things like that maybe don't get enough attention, ADHD. You talk yeah. about uh, perinatal care. I mean, we've spoken to the Elephant Collective about some of the things that have happened to women and their experiences of, of child care, or ch- having children and and then, you know, what has happened. I hate to say it, some dreadful stories, some absolutely yeah. dreadful stories. And, and, and this is not to minimize anything that I've just mentioned, but I don't know if you if you saw um, Austin O'Carroll's piece recently about the, the, the suicide hierarchy. And if you wouldn't mind, I want to read the, the sentence that, I, that that was a good punch um, when I read it. We've over relied on a legalistic, moralistic definition of suicide that serves us poorly in the present day medicine. We should group these deaths under self-inflicted deaths of despair. 
And that goes to the heart of mental health and the ultimate failure, as I put, as I will say it now, of a society that failed to meet that. That's why you have a campaign like the cost of waiting. Because that is the cost of waiting in, in many regards where ultimately we've lost a friend or a sibling or a family member. I'm getting emotional now, but nonetheless, um, when, when I don't know if you read the article, but it just showed me that there that there is there's a huge gap and the work that you guys are doing helps to bridge that. And, uh, you know, around the suicide aspect, what are your asks and what are your what where do you guys see it? Um in a, in a properly supported system. Sorry. No, that, not at all, Tony. Um, as I was saying to you earlier, our, our asks for 2023, we, we wanted to make them, as I said, as pragmatic and, and, and as pragmatic, I should say, and, and realistic as possible. And I, I said also that we were aligning with um goals and recommendations that were already made you know we didn't pull these out of of, of thin air these are aligned with uh, sharing the vision implementation plan and, and other documents and um one of the the key uh, national clinical programs that we have raised in our pre-budget submission is on the self-harm suicide program and, you know, when we were surveying, um, public survey to help inform our, our, our submission in the, in the first instance, um, we collected quotes from the survey participants. And I can tell you that some of them were very, very powerful and certainly, uh, you know, People's thoughts on it were that waiting is killing people. And I'm, I'm almost kind of hesitant to say that because of the weight of the statement. Um, but it's a true statement, Roshi. Hmm. It is killing people. I mean, if they can't access services in a timely manner. Are you, we, can, you're right, Martin. We tired and Roshi heart goes out to you because I know it's hard to say that and hard to, to be, be to admit that but we know the government's own reports will tell you that X amount of people die in emergency departments because of maybe a backlog and certain things so these are the facts but it's still we have to be honest about that you know we have to tell the truth on that sorry Martin yeah it is. I just think access to service and I think too we need to have a wider societal look at why people are suffering mental health what is it in our society that is hurting people what is it that's affecting their mental health like i think if i was a young person now looking down the road of living in ireland it's a depressing scenario it really is a depressing scenario no home no no uh, permanent job um you know the idea that you could be living at home to your full grown adult at 35 or 40 years of age all of that affects mental health. All of it does. And I, I think there are wider societal questions to be asked as well. Are we driving people's mental health into a poor state? Are, are we doing it through policy? What do you think, Roshi? Honestly, Marty, um, 
it's a huge question because it's what you've mentioned there. It's right across society, isn't it? It's not just about the. It's not in healthcare just alone. It's it's not in how um, healthcare is delivered or mental health services are provided. What you're talking about there is a real hard look at what we've prioritised as a society over the years, what we've made important and what we've lost equally as a result of that and how it's impacted on people. And, you know, it's 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 a huge question. And I think, I think maybe, and this is probably for myself, as opposed <laughs> a personal opinion, as opposed to anything else, but I think we, we, we have maybe to the detriment of our communities, we've turned our focus on maybe more materialistic goals. And by virtue of how society's developed in that vein, people have become isolated and feel alone. And there's absolute wealth of research, as you can imagine, of the impact of loneliness. It was brought highly into focus during um, the pandemic and lockdown and that. But, you know, like like mental health, the crisis was already there. It was just brought her into sharp focus, in, in you know, in 2020. So it's a big question, Marty. It's it's not just to do with, with um, our, our health services or anything like that. It's a much broader societal question. And I think at the nub of it, um maybe the dissolute the slow dissolution of communities over a period of decades mm. um has has really not not done us too many favors in many ways you know it's, it's um, very that's a very fair comment we're dealing with that and like we always say on this podcast good good housing policies good climate policy good housing policies good mental health and good health and the community policy all of those things all follow whether it's good education it helps do all of those things good social mobility policy all of those things feed yeah. but but what i suppose what i wanted the last thing for me now is that you you have done a, a lot of work on this and a lot of people nearly a third of people felt that a barrier to accessing the services is financial mm-hmm. And this is important here. This is where we end up with this, you know, uh, the people who can get the care can actually, you know, will say they have had a, a positive experience, whereby the people who are waiting overwhelmingly, a majority nearly have said they've had a negative experience because it's either been in the waiting process or or, or trying to get there. Rushing, uh, um, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it does seem to me that, you know, that's that is the that if, if we could lift one barrier, it would be the financial access one immediately. Yeah. Not being able to afford to pay for care is in this day and age should not be a barrier. I mean, that we're even talking about it sometimes if you care to stand back and, you know, take an objective look that we're even having the conversation that people can't get a basic access to mental health care by virtue of their their economic standing is is not right. We shouldn't be having this conversation in Ireland in 2022. Um it's it's wrong, and you know, um, we're, we're we're you know pushing forward with our campaign at this time, and we do recognise the impact of the cost of living, and we're aware of it. And sure, can any of us get away with away from it? We can't. But every burden that the general population feels at the moment 
due to the rising costs of living and inflation. It's felt even more intensely by those people with a mental health difficulty. And just, you know, to illustrate that, the, the average cost per year of having a mental health difficulty in Ireland is reported to be thir- over 13,000. So yeah. listen, come here, you're facing into drastic inflation now. That figure is prior to that. It's not a good place to be if you have a mental health difficulty and you need support. Just before we finish up, Roshan, I would just like to emphasize that anybody can have a mental health issue and mm-hmm. people can have mental health issues who've never had one before. You can go your whole life, you can be in your 50s and have a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. Different Mm -hmm. triggers cause different things. So the idea that any person is immune from a mental health difficulty, I think we really really need to stress nobody is immune from a mental health difficulty. Nobody. Marty, you're speaking my language there totally. And I'm so glad because I feel so passionate about it. It's not, it's just, as I said earlier, and sometimes, you know, it's it's such a strong point and I want to articulate it well, but it could literally be you, it could be me, it could, you're, nobody's immune, right? So when you're, when you're listening to the likes of myself talking about funding mental health services, it's not about Joe Bloggs down the road. It's not about that group of people over there. It's for you as well, you know? So, yeah, I'm glad that you sort of hammered that home as well. Mental health difficulties can happen to anyone at any time. And, you know, sometimes people don't even recognize the impact that different traumas and things can have in their life. But they come from a place of of carrying that with them and make decisions from that place as well. You know, so that's life. And, yeah, mental health is is, is for everyone. How can people help, Roshin? I would love if people would take a look at our website, learn a bit about the work we do. What's the website, Roshan? Our website is mentalhealthreform.ie. You'll find our pre-budget submission on that website. And the key points are we are asking for an additional 100 million in budget 2023. One really important point that I would like to bring up is we're asking for um, a, a 10% of the total health budget, that's the, the total health budget to be assigned to mental health by 2024. And I just want to give you a little bit of context if I have a minute on that 10%. So for for quite a number of years, funding for mental health in Ireland has stalled between 5 and 6% of the total health budget. And that's less than half of what the recommended spend is internationally. And in the UK and France, for example, they, they spend between 14 and 15% of their health budget on mental health. So it's really important. We need this investment We need this 100 million investment in mental health, but we need to ensure that we can keep going with 10% of the total health budget by 2024. It's crucial. So I would love if people learned some more about our work. I'd love if they logged on to our website and had a look at our asks and why we're asking for them. And I'd love if people took that minute to pop off an email or make a quick phone call to your TD. Because there are, like, look at, I have to say it, there's strength in numbers, but there really is. 
and your public representatives will listen to you because that's what they're there for. Roshan Clark, Interim CEO of Mental Health Reform. Thank you very much for coming on and having this conversation with us. I think it was a very important conversation to have. And I do hope you get the 100 million in the budget. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks again, Roisin. Thanks for listening, folks. We really appreciate it. We we will have our live show on Sunday and um, we probably have something else in between. I know the NUJ, the, the Reach uh, Media guys have been going on strike, so it looks like we may be covering that in the next little while. Um, but in the meantime, the link for the mental health reform will be in this podcast. So we'll make it nice and easy for you. All you got to do is push it while you're listening and you can you can find out more there. And, you know, look, you all know the who's my TD button. Hit that button as well and the way you go. Thanks for listening. Talk to you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony.